0: became surety for the lad
1: unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide, instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. So there he is. He's volunteering himself to take Benjamin's place. He's a slave. Instead of Benjamin, so that Benjamin can go, that's a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who took our place. And all of Isaiah 53 has that theme. He took our place, like the little girl said at the CEF booth in Del Mar. He took our place. In Isaiah 53, 5, he took our place as he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and as the chastisement of our peace was on him, and we're healed. In Isaiah 53, 4, 53, four he took our place, when he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And then in verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6, he took our place when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 12, verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he bare the sins of many. Only one of the brothers of all of them gained the confidence of Jacob to entrust Benjamin to him to let him go down to Egypt. And there's only going to be one Jewish man who's going to gain the confidence of the Jewish people. That's why it's so interesting when it says, and Judah said unto Israel. And there's only one Jewish man who's going to gain the confidence of the Jewish people so that they will entrust their souls to him. And that Jewish man is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jacob is convinced by Judah. And then he says in verse 11... He says in verse 11, their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now. That's the great change for Jacob. He had struggled with this for so long. And now at last, he surrenders, he resigns himself to the fact he's going to let Benjamin go down to Egypt. It's very much like the struggle of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed to the Father in Luke twenty two forty one, Luke twenty two forty one, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then there appeared an angel unto him, strengthening him, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he rose up from prayer, come to his disciples. He, and they were sleeping, but okay. So finally, this victory is won. And there's kind of relief in it. Because the decision is made. And there's a relief for the Lord Jesus. The decision is made. He's going to go ahead, bear the sins of the world. He rises up from prayer. Finally, with Jacob, there's a kind of a relief. The decision is made. Okay, Benjamin is going down to Egypt and you know, you see the struggle, decision, relief. All right, and then the next step. And that's the same thing that is seen in the life of Jochebed, the mother of Moses. She goes through the same pattern where it says in Exodus 2.2, Exodus 2.2, speaking about Jochebed, the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months When she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags in the river's brink. I mean, there's Jochebed. She loves her little baby boy, Moses. Only she doesn't know his name's Moses at that point, but it doesn't matter. She loves her little boy, and she's under the order of Pharaoh, destroy all baby boys. That included her son. And like Jacob clinging to Benjamin, not letting him go down to Egypt, Jacobed says, No, I will not let, I will not yield to this pressure of the Egyptian king. I will not kill my baby boy. I won't throw him into the Nile. And just like Jacob, who came to this place of realizing, can't do that anymore, can't hold Benjamin anymore, she comes to that decision also. And she says, I can't hold on to my little baby boy anymore. I can't keep him in hiding. I got to let him go. And so she accepts, like Jacob, the inevitable. And when it comes time to have to let Benjamin go there after he's accepted the inevitable with the words, if it must be so now, and right after he says that in verse 11, her father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this and take of the best fruits of the land, and in your vessels, and secure any, he, very detailed yeah. about the, what the present should be. And we saw that as the decision was made, he goes to work, immediately prepare the present. And that's exactly what Jacob did. So she makes the decision, she goes to work, and she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch. Okay, when Jacob makes his decision, to let Benjamin go down to Egypt. Jacob now, it's like he adopts for himself a new life orientation, an orientation of prayer. When he says in verse 14, this is a prayer in verse 14 when he says, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your brother, Benjamin, your other brother, and Benjamin. His address is specific. And God Almighty, it's specific as to who it is going to. And God Almighty. That's why our prayers are specific. I love to pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I pray, oh God, or pray to God, who's God? Everybody says God. Who's that? You know? But when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, crystallization happens and we know who God is. And his prayer is specific. His prayer is specific in his request that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. It's interesting, he doesn't say Simeon. Simeon doesn't rank compared to Benjamin. He's just the other brother, but Benjamin is Benjamin. Wow. Anyway, so when Jacob adopts this new orientation of prayer to God Almighty, it changes Jacob. Jacob is a changed man now. It changes him because now Jacob is, is humbled. He's humble. It's no more the Jacob who in bold defiance and in the last verse of chapter 42, verse 38, is no longer, he's putting his foot down. My son shall not go down with you. But now it's carry down the man of present. Yeah, verse 11, that's humility. And his, his orientation of prayer about, to God Almighty changes him because now Jacob is seeking to appease his enemies. There's no more this Jacob who's angry with the man, why he took the Simeon. It's is now, Jacob's now trying to become friends with the angry man down there in Egypt. And this orientation, this orientation of prayer is changed, you know, to God Almighty. It's changed Jacob. Now he's full of faith. Now Jacob is full of faith. It's no more Jacob who's leaning to his own understanding. I'm gonna hold back Benjamin from all the trouble because I've been seeing everything happens when they're around you guys. But now Jacob is trusting the Lord for Benjamin's safety. He's trusting the Lord with all of his heart when he gives them Benjamin. He's acknowledging the Lord with this open reliance on God. Everyone hears Jacob say, and God Almighty give you mercy. It's a whole new orientation for him. It's a new orientation of prayer. And now he's accepting whatever God's will was for him. It's no more Jacob who's who's saying that, I want God's will to align with my will. And that means Benjamin doesn't go down there. No, Jacob is accepting God's will. If it means he's gonna lose his children, then he loses his children. Jacob is now thinking back to when his grandfather, Abraham, was about to lose his only child on Mount Moriah. And, and, and Abraham came that close to sacrificing Isaac as a burnt offering. And by the way, that was Jacob's father that we're talking about, so that was close to home. And he says in verse 14, if I be bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. That's a victory. That's a victory for Jacob, just like the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane who came to that point, says, nevertheless, thy will be done. And so he says in verse 14, if I be bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. He's saying, nevertheless, thy will be done. In other words, he's saying, if God wants me to lose my children and be bereaved, then I'll accept God's will and I'll be bereaved. Now, By the way, I have to point out here that in the Hebrew text, It doesn't say, of my children. And that's why it's in italics, because the translators added it. It just says, if I be bereaved, I be bereaved. So now, the present is prepared, not just common things, prized things, very best from the land of Canaan. Jacob has made sure that his sons have enough money to buy the new food. The donkeys are ready to go. Jacob has this orientation of prayer He's sending them off. And you kind of get the feeling here as you're reading this that there's like a checklist that's involved for the brothers as they go down to Egypt to, to the man who's going to control the, their destiny, you know. And as Jacob in verse 13, he's focused on this man who's going to control what's going to happen to his children. And he says in verse 13, Arise, go again unto the man. And he knows. He may not see any of his children again, but he's yielded to God. He's praying to God. And when we see Jacob here, right at this point where he's going to send away his kids, he may not see him again. He's yielding his children to God. That's the hardest thing for a parent to do. (laughs) To yield the children to God. I spoke to a mother this last week whose daughter she says i feel like i know you because she listens on the radio in, in the midwest anyway she says she says her daughter has a lump behind her knee and the doctor with wonderful bedside manner that doctors have told her i'm 100% sure it's cancer before she even knew it was cancer but anyways that's what happened and the mother told me now how she wanted to protect her daughter her daughter And she told me how her daughter said, Mom, I'm willing to have cancer if it will help in different people's lives, but I don't want to die. I don't want to die. That's so hard for a mother, she was telling me. It's so hard, so hard for a parent to yield their children to the Lord and say to God, as Job said, when he lost his children, he lost his children. And Job said in Job 121, naked Job 121, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he went on to say, speaking about this, in Job 9.12, Job 9.12, Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, what doest thou? Who's going to say to God, what in the world are you doing? All right, so we see Jacob in verse 13. He's giving his final send off to his children again. He may never see him again. And notice how he refers, how Jacob refers to Benjamin in verse 13. How does he refer to Benjamin in verse 13? Your brother, your brother. Verse 13, he says, Take also your brother. He's got a name, (laughs) Benjamin. But he doesn't say his name here. He says, take also your brother. Why doesn't he call him Benjamin? Why does he call him your brother? Just to remind them. (laughs) He's your brother. You You need to take care of him like your brother. Not just Benjamin, but he's your brother. Little reminder, important reminder, from Jacob to his sons there. Just remember, he's your brother. You know, that's a little reminder to us that fellow believers are brothers And sisters, just as Jacob is calling his sons to treat Benjamin like your brother, we need to do that. That's why we're admonished to do that in 1 Timothy five one. First 1 Timothy 5.1 says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brothers, brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, we see the brothers, they're leaving now, in verse 15, the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt to before Joseph. Now, that verse reads like a checklist, right? You know, it's like the checklist. Got the present? Check. Got the double money? Check. Got Benjamin? Check. <laughs> and they hope that as they've done everything, like Jacob says, all, everything's under control now. And they're hoping that, you know, they're not going to ask too much food. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, their mission can be as smooth as going to In-N-Out burgers. <laughs> you know, just get into Egypt, get out of Egypt as fast as possible. You know, in verse 15, so it's verse 15, rose up, went down to Egypt. And, well, this is not going to be like going to In-N-Out because the last three words in verse 15, are all of a sudden, they stood before Joseph. All right. So they were immediately standing before Joseph. That was the last person they wanted to see, but that was the first person they saw. And the way it's put in verse 15, how it says there, they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. It kind of comes across like a shock, you know, like a shock. You know, it's like, uh, oh, no, what are we doing here now? You know, maybe they could have hoped that maybe Joseph was busy that day and told someone, ah, if they come with the younger brother, you know, let the other brother go, give him the food, and maybe they could just slip away out of Egypt. Now, that would have been a dream for them. (laughs) But but that dream was not going to happen because it says in verse 15, they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Reminds me of this last week. I met an old friend, a great friend, scientist friend from Switzerland. We'd known each other for years. we in been at home over 30 years, spent a lot of time at dinners. And, and down through the years, we were always talking about all the new ways to diagnose disease, monitor disease. And, and I was so happy because I got a chance to be with them. Big convention was here in San Diego last week, 12,000, 14,000 people once a year. American Association of Clinical Chemistry. It's the biggest meeting for our industry in the U.S. So anyway, so he came here, and I was happy to have two hours with him in his hotel and tell him why, as I started off my talk, I said to him, you need God. And I explained to him why. And I was telling him that, you know, you're going to wake up after death in one of two places, one you should be in, one you should not be in. And I said, you're going to wake up after death. And he looked at me shocked, and he says, you really think so? I said, you're going to wake up after death. He says, you really think so? I said, no, I don't think so. I know so. People hope about death that nothing's going to happen after death. That's their hope. They're kind of like the brothers. They just hope they can just, you know, nothing's going to happen. They're just going to go down to Egypt, get the food, and get out. And that's why cemeteries are called peace, places of peace. In German, they call it a place of peace. Because people wish that the dead will rest in peace. That's the wish. It all reflects this hope, like the brothers, that somehow they might not have to stand before Joseph. But verse 14 tells us that no sooner had they arrived in Egypt and they found themselves standing before Joseph. And that's the way death is death is going to be like the brothers immediately finding themselves standing before Joseph. No sooner will a person die. Then he's gonna be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10 which says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether good or bad. So they all stand now before Joseph and Joseph fixes his eyes. And what is Joseph fixing his eyes on? Verse 16, Benjamin. When Joseph saw Benjamin, this is the thing that just captures Joseph. He sees Benjamin, and we can imagine how Joseph just fixes his eyes, gazes on, and just studies Benjamin. Why? Benjamin is his only full brother of the group. How old was Benjamin the last time Joseph saw him? About 10 years old. Now, I want you to think of somebody that you know here that's about 10 years old. You got that in mind? Is your daughter about 10 years old? No. Almost 10. Okay. Think of someone about that age, right? This is Joseph's only full brother, Benjamin, is 10 years old. How old is Benjamin now? 33. Is that how old you are, Cody, about 33 years old? (laughs) 33, we don't know anybody 33, here, but anyway, 33 years old. So you can imagine how Joseph is looking at Benjamin and he's saying to himself, the last time I saw you, you were 10 years old. Now you're 33 years old. And he's looking at there and the emotion is welling up in Joseph. As he's looking at Benjamin, he's gazing at him. And you wanna know how that emotion just came on him like a wave? Drop down to verse 29. Drop down to verse 29, Genesis 43, 29, where it says, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, like I say, he was the only full brother, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And you can almost hear his voice cracking as he says that. And he turns to me and said, God, is, be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. He lost it. (laughs) He's called his mother's son, and when Joseph looks on Benjamin, he lost it at the very core of his body. He really had a misfortune (laughs) that day. His bowels, you know, and, and Joseph felt this yearning from the depth of him in Benjamin, and he goes and runs away, to find some private place so he can cry his heart out. Then he's got to wash up and appear again. So Joseph is very glad to, to see Benjamin, and he's very glad to see something about Benjamin. What do you think that thing might be that he's glad to see about Benjamin? Anybody got an idea? What do you think Joseph might have been afraid of regarding Benjamin? Yeah, (laughs) that's actually, hey, Benny boy. (laughs) It's like, uh, he's afraid the brothers might have treated Benjamin like they treated him because Benjamin was the remaining son of Rachel. And when Joseph disappeared, Joseph knew his father's affection Jacob's affection was going to all fall on Benjamin so Joseph was afraid for Benjamin that 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 the brothers would have treated Benjamin in the same contempt and the same hatred that they treated him with so he's kind of relieved to see he doesn't look so bad so Joseph sees the one he's been looking for Benjamin and he commands his servant in verse 16 he commands his servant says when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home, slay, make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. I wonder the way that's written there when it says, when Joseph saw Benjamin, he said, you're gonna eat with me. I wonder if he saw Benjamin all beat up, maybe he wouldn't have said that. (laughs) Maybe he said, put those, anyway. But Joseph now makes arrangements for the brothers to have lunch with him that day. That was nice, that's nice. I mean, you know, He didn't arrange for them to have lunch in the palace cafeteria, right, or or in the executive restaurant of the palace, but he arranges for them to come to his house, come to his home.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. Friendship with You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at Friendship with You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to Friendship with to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at Israel or you can write Tom Cantor. At P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box seven one one, three three zero, San Santee, California. That's S.A.N.T.E.E. San California nine two zero seven one. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at eight 800- hundred. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference, happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel, Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com, ReachIsrael.com.